this podcast, Jason Carmel from Possible talks about leading an analytics practice in digital analytics world. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us Jason Carmel. He's a chief data officer at Possible and um, a brief bio. So he has about 20 years of digital data and marketing experience. Jason has worked with clients such as Coca-Cola, Ford, Microsoft to evolve digital experience based on real-time feedback and behavioral data. Jason manages a global team of 100 digital analysts across Possible, a digital advertising agency that uses traditional and unconventional data sets and models to help brand uh, connect more effectively with their customers. Of particular interest lately is Jason's uh, work using data and machine learning to define and understand emotional components of human conversation. Jason spearheaded uh, the creation of Possible's empathy model which uh, translates the raw unstructured content of social media into quantitative understanding of what customers are actually feeling about a given topic, event, or brand. With that, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Vishal. It's good to be here. Beautiful. So I think one thing that I I found really fascinating about your background is you you are from a legal background and then now coming into data science in a marketing agency. it's 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 amazing. So can you can you just walk us through that journey and sort of those those sort of moving points that that, that brought you here? Yes, uh, uh, it is. I would say non traditional, probably relative to the um, the other data scientists that I know to, to have started in, in law. Um, and I think I can uh, qualify it as me having been a mediocre lawyer at best, um, <laughs> which is how. I, I ended up in data science. No, the, I mean, the, the the type of law that I was super interested in uh, at the time was sort of um, a pro bono white knight kind of law, um, uh, death penalty cases, asylum cases, stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, and I didn't have a, a massive opportunity to get uh, uh, sort of a paying job for that. And even, even doing that was um, just hard to make ends meet. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to, um, as I was looking for work, to, to help out with a startup. This was back in the, the first dot-com boom. And, uh, and I took it uh, as a way to just sort of bide time. Um, and I found myself as the only non-coder in a startup. Um, and so I was, in essence, responsible for doing a lot of other things that didn't have um, to do with the actual building of the of the of the, of the software, the product, um, and we started the the software itself that that was built was sort of a, I guess if you were to look at it, it's kind of a it was a precursor to LinkedIn. It was a, a contact management um, software, but it was client side, um, and so as we launched it and started getting people to sign up, we found ourselves with all of this data. Um, people would sign up, give their contact information, give where they worked, where they did work, used to work, where they work now, um, and that data was fascinating. Um, even as a non non trained data scientist, there there really were no data science programs back uh, back when I went you know went to undergrad. Um, they um, uh, but it's, the data set was fascinating, and we knew there was something there. So I asked um, the engineers who were busy developing the product to get me information, and they were like, "We are too busy developing this product. Go bother someone else." And I kept bothering them, and finally they said, here's a login to the database, and here is a sequel for Dummy's book. Go figure it out. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I did, or I did well enough. They had to help me. They, they said, don't ever type the words drop table. Um, they gave me some guidelines to, um, to kind of manage it. But in, in essence, I had a data set, and I had um, a book that helped me navigate how to, how to get there. And um, and it became the most fun part of the job is to understand what people are doing, how it's changed, how it develops over time, and then that sort of manifested after the dot com boom busted. Um, I found myself with a, a pretty good background in in kind of uh, analytics as it was then, uh, and some good uh, intel on how to navigate digital as it was then, and so I was able to jump from law uh, from any any precept of going back to law into um, into this kind of newfound space of, of analytics. And so I jumped from there to a, um, a, a technology company called J2 Global Communications. Um, they are uh, a house of brands. Their most famous product is eFax, 
the sexy world of internet faxing. Um, and I had a great boss there who, in, uh, who in essence told me, listen, everything that we do is digital. We don't have a store. We don't have, um, a, um, uh, you know, door to door or anything like that. There's no place except online that you can buy a product. Um, I will let you buy any tool or toy you want, provided you get a 90 day trial and can prove to me that you've increased conversion rate. And like, what a great remit. So in essence, for the, the, the five, six years that I spent there, I, um, as digital was growing as in the early 2000s, I was learning everything that came out there. Um, and I became super fascinated uh, with this idea of AB multivariate testing, which we used quite a bit. Um, and then that led to, um, to me joining after that an agency um, focusing on, on AB multivariate testing, which is um, when I first joined Possible um, about 11 years ago. And then that uh, navigated throughout. I mean, you, you touch data on one side and you start to learn data on other sides. Um, and I was able, I was very lucky in that um, uh, the agency here gave me a lot of room to grow. And so from a, you know, joining as a manager, um, I was able to work up through kind of a regional uh, lead across optimization and testing and targeting, and then to the much larger uh, kind of marketing sciences group that we have now. Interesting, interesting. And thank you so much for, for walking us uh, through, through your journey. And and to your credit, I think we, ha we are seeing, uh, and we, ha we I think most of my interaction with uh, CDOs and CAOs who are from legal background, they are kicking um, so-called rears. Because uh, they have, they, I think data governance is a big piece, and sort of they know uh, the sanctity and they know sort of all the, all the all the legal aspect. So I think that's that's yeah. pretty helpful. I, I agree. I think it also the legal background gives you a, a sense of what is fixed and what is not fixed. Hmm. So gov governance, uh, GDPR, all of the the new stuff that we're dealing with, some of that stuff is super fixed, and you cross the line at your own peril. But everything up to that line is a gray hmm. area, hmm. and a lot of fun happens in the gray area. <laughs> Um, and so depending on your risk, your sense of risk or your bravery of uh, the flip side of risk, um, you can achieve quite a bit in that gray area. And, and so for me, the ability to, to bring that to bear has been um, useful. It is probably not um, how my parents envisioned me using my law degree. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, they, they're quite pleased with my success. So um, it worked out in the end, I suppose. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, so tell us... How Explain us your typical day. What your typical day looks like. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. Fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. I'm sure. So I manage uh, marketing sciences as a group. Um, which is data f that, um, I mean, possible at the end of the day is an ad agency. It's a digitally mm -hmm. focused one, but our idea is to create ideas um, that our clients can use to help further their business goals. Um, and so my job and the job of my team is to help uh, on two fronts. Before the idea goes out, can we make the idea bulletproof? Um, can we show that this idea, even though it looks a little crazy, uh, when you first see it is actually the smartest thing to do based on mm -hmm. all the information that we know. And then uh, after the idea goes out into the world, it's a question of understanding, did it work? How well did it work? If it didn't work, how do we fix it? Um, and so that's what, um, and so my day-to-day -day is working with all of the, um, the leads and, and uh, on, in marketing sciences who work on these clients to make sure that, that, um, that we hit both sides of that um, equation from a data science perspective. Interesting. And uh, I think another thing that I found fascinating. Um, tell us about your about your recent research on um, how you're working to understand the emotional component. Uh, tell us about about that mindset and, and and sort of what you're doing there. The emotional uh, content. Yeah. Um, so uh, we work a lot, a great deal with social media because a lot of our brands are there, and that's a channel that, that we have to pay attention to. I mean, I almost pined for ten years ago when everybody had a website. And, you know, web, web analytics is a prefix system. You know, it's a funnel and people drop off or they don't and you can you can map it. Um, uh, uh, social media is almost the opposite of that. It's unstructured. It's a, a lot of it's anonymous. Um, the language that people use is just is best case difficult to understand and worst case just, you know, comical, filthy, 
uh, um, passionate, all of these things. Um, and for us to understand what and how people are talking about the context of brands, um, we were we found ourselves um, counting a lot. And anytime you, as a data scientist, just find yourself counting things, um, you know, it's a bad day. It's a, you're, you start to get bored. Anything can count. Uh, and, um, and so counting likes and shares and all of that just was, mm. it was the measure of the day and everybody was reasonably happy with it. But um, from our perspective, we, um, uh, we started wondering if there was something more we could figure out. If instead of understanding the volume of people mm. talking about something, or someone or um or some concept could we actually um run a layer on top of that and, and kind of use some very lightweight natural language processing to um to rip out the the feelings that they were having um and so a, a lot of that i mean you put um when you say the word data scientists emotion is not typically the first word that that um in free association that people will come up and and talk about, but it was a it was a fascinating project for my team uh, um, because they got to learn so much about how the human mind works, how emotions are categorized. Um, we learned, you know, there are eight primary emotions, but those primary emotions get blended together um, and propagated uh, for up to upwards of fifty or more secondary um, uh, and tertiary emotions that are their subcategories. And how do we distinguish between the different flavors of joy using um, you know, uh, parts of speech using um, uh, chunks of narrative. Um, and so for us, that problem was just super fascinating. Um, and so we prototyped it and it was almost, but not quite totally wrong. Um, and that it, that little bit of rightness that was there um, mm -hmm. was enough hope for us to iterate on it and to show that that we could actually drive business value out of it and now um, we bring it to bear for our clients quite a bit where um, if we see somebody talking about a brand or an, an event it's not just how are uh, what are they talking about but it's how they feel a, a about it um, one of my favorite stories is um, Susan G Komen, the breast cancer mm. awareness uh, research group uh, was a client um, and they had a um, a campaign it's been it was historically very successful uh where um uh, it was very supportive you know um if you find out that you or a loved one has breast cancer mm -hmm. um the they want to be known as being there and so there was a mm -hmm. all of their campaigns were about you know women hugging and being supportive and arm in arm and we'll beat this thing together um and we did some uh emotional listening for the topic of um, breast cancer, we found that a younger audience was talking less about support and more about anger. They were angry at it. Mm. Um, uh, and all of this um, uh, campaign about just being supportive um, was actually annoying them. It, was, uh, it wasn't mirroring how they felt. And so we helped um, build this campaign um, that's called More Than Pink. Uh, and it was the idea of being, we're going to do more than just be, you know, a supportive pin color um, that we're actually going to punch cancer in the face. And all of the campaign mm. was black and white and the people who were in the campaign weren't smiling. Um, and so it was a really good mirror of the emotion and the um, campaign did very well with the, that demographic because it responded to how people felt. And so for us, the ability to recognize that humans are emotional and not purely behavioral um, and to add that layer of data is super interesting for us. Interesting. Wow. Um, and, and and what's what's the like? Uh, I was I was reading about empathy model. So what what exactly is that? So that's the that is the layer that we put on top of social listening. And in essence, it's a um, it's a series of filters that that we run all of the body of text through uh, uh, in aggregate to understand when people are talking about um, the um, the Super Bowl or the summit in Helsinki or um, the Grammys or um, deodorant, you know, how, how they're feeling. Um, and it uses, uh, um, uh, it filters words back in based on what we know about the, the, the product. Um, and then it's, uh, it uses some bag of words, simple bag, bag of words filtering as well mm -hmm. um, to give us a, a very, um, again, rough cut estimate. The, the idea is that it will never be perfect, um, but it is um, well enough understood that a that a company, a brand, can take advantage of it and make some some really resonant creative for it. Interesting. And and if you can walk us through sort of your journey uh, when when this revelation comes, hey, let let me do something that that sort of works around uh, 
understanding the conversation and and the context behind them and sort of creating those campaign <clears throat> how do you end up sort of from idea to inception to execution if you can walk us through that journey uh, and and some of the um, nuances or some of the hurdles and how you how you end up overcoming that that will be really helpful we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast yeah uh, so i i guess i'm i think i'm very lucky i don't know how unique it is but i know i appreciate the fact that the people that i work with who aren't in in the data group are fascinated by the data that that we bring they're hungry for it and so um uh it it wasn't i mean there are always uh hiccups and frictions depending on on pressures that that come from day to day but uh um more uh almost exclusively it is the strategists the creative teams who are asking us for for data so a, a client will come in and ask us uh to solve a problem um and then it becomes a research question of all right what is is the problem would we frame the problem the same way and we look at any number of data sets that we have available either from the client um either they send us first party data to look at they give us access to their a uh, web analytics or social or mobile analytics and we synthesize that and uh bring that to our strategy and creative teams to say this is um this is how we actually view the the state of the problem sometimes it's aligned sometimes it is slightly different and sometimes it's completely unrelated to the problem that that, that our our clients see um and then based on that we um the strategists take that data and brief the creative teams and say all right this is how we want to approach the solve here are some channels that we're going we're going to look at um here is uh so let's create let's do um let's come up with some ideas that might solve this problem and then based on what the creative team comes back uh, with my team jumps in and tries to validate that um and there are a lot of things that um our our creative teams do with respect to um is it a social campaign is it a media campaign is it the email um is it out of store is it in store are we trying to drive people to buy online or offline there's so many of these variables um and our job is to look at the path that the creative team wants to send people down to say all right how likely is this to work um do we have any modeling that we can bring bring to bear that will show kind of the game theory the game scenarios that that might uh work or not work um and then um uh and then we take to the client and they uh it's yay or nay or fix this or change that tweak that um and then it's a question of of throwing it out in production and making sure that we have a harness in place to understand whether it worked or not and that's different than just measuring um uh the KPIs within the channel but it's really uh all right what's the business goal and how do we break that down into subsets of KPIs um that 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 ma- Uh, well you got this much uh reach and this many clicks and this many likes uh when the client really wants to know if people like them or not um uh and so that's that's how we integrate i guess throughout the agency um uh uh from the start of a project through to the end um in some cases we uh, if the campaign is ongoing we can yeah. um from these optimization loops where it's in essence um ab testing uh multivariate testing behavioral targeting for uh new segments um and that uh obviously makes our initial campaign more successful over time interesting and and um one more interesting thing i was talking about uh, i was i was reading about is we we counter hate like what what is that if you can walk us through um that project sure yeah so we counter hate was a um is a piece of work that the agency uh itself the possible itself kind of uh came up within it um it it started from a strange place it was just after the uh um i guess the riots in charlottesville um and uh, I, everybody was kind of in a funk with respect to i guess the state of things all up um with um just people being hateful uh and uh for no for no apparent reason for no other reason and one of our our creative technologists um read a, this article about this town in Germany um who every year this town in Germany would have neo nazis march through the town mm. um and they hated it they they just hated it and they wanted it to stop but they didn't know how to uh how to do it either um if they uh, showed up they they worried that they would um give these people a voice if they didn't show up they they worried that they would be tacitly approving of it and it was just a struggle for them so they came up with this brilliant um 
this brilliant idea where, in essence, they sponsored the neo-Nazis like a walkathon. Mm. Um, and for every meter that the neo-Nazis walked, they would donate money um, to a program in Germany that's designed to help people escape from neo-Nazi uh, groups to leave that lifestyle. Um, and then when the so that year when the the neo Nazis came to march, um, the townspeople came out and they actively cheered for the neo Nazis. Mm -hmm. They had water stations and banana stations, and they were they, and it was so weird for the for the the neo Nazis because they didn't know how to react. They're like, uh, if they kept walking, if they if they stopped, they lost. Um, but if they kept walking, they in essence were funding their own uh, uh, you know the the end of their existence. Um, and it was this wonderful turn uh, of a of a of a group of a of a group of people who were taking back power over what seemed like a powerless situation. And the creative technologist was like, "This is great. Is there a way we could do this for digital? Because um, uh, every day the equivalent of a neo-Nazi march happens in mm -hmm. social media, and it's sad, but it, but it happens. Mm -hmm. We did some listening on it, and there were 16 million uh, messages of of hate speech." last year in Twitter alone, not including Facebook, not including Instagram, and that's horrifying. Um, and so he, the creative technologist was curious if there was a way for us to um, to change that, to make it um, uh, to make a digital experience like that that parade was. And so we came up with We Counter Hate, where in essence we built a um, uh, some machine learning that scrubbed social media and found the worst pieces of hate speech. Um, and when we found it uh, in real time, we would sponsor it, for lack of a better term, um, mm. where um, we would uh, reply to the tweet and say, this is hate speech. Um, and for every retweet of this hate speech, we're going to um, commit a dollar um, to a, a nonprofit that, that helps um, people uh, get out of hate groups. And so, um, and so we partnered with a, a group called Life After Hate. Uh, mm. And they are um, a, a group of uh, former white supremacists and violent extremists um, who were able to extricate themselves from those groups and are helping other, pe other people do the same. So now when somebody posts a hateful tweet and all of the other people who follow them are about to retweet it, they get this impossible choice. Um, either I don't retweet it and the message dies, or I do, and I fund this group that's trying to put me out of, uh, out of a job, so to speak. Um, so that's the that, that was sort of the heart of it, and um, so we built the machine learning in-house um, to identify um, uh, this hate speech, and it was very similar to the the stuff that we did uh, for the empathy model. Uh, sort of hate is a flavor of speech, just like joy is, um, and um, it's very specific based on the specific groups that are going after it. And we've seen tremendous success that when we do respond to these hate influencers. Um, mm. that people stop sharing it. Um, and so for us, it was a really great internal validation um, uh, that we can use machine learning to solve a problem, that we can use data to help um, identify and stop something. Um, uh, and it was also such a great project just for us to be involved with because um, you know we're part of the world and this Im impacts us too. Interesting. Fascinating story, by the way. And, and thank you for everything, every bit that you guys are doing. And I think one thing that, that always amazes me is that, so digital um, media companies, they have, um, as you rightly said, that there are hate marches going on, or sort of they are, they have sort of um, close, sort of very, pro very close proximity to any of the conversation happening on the social web. I personally, is, I'm not interact, like I don't know what's going on behind the scene, but these digital agencies, they keep track of all the conversation, as you're rightly saying, and and, and they have they have a sort of a uh, a way to understand. And in to to certain point, even Cambridge Cambridge Analytica was one one such digital agency that that exploited mm -hmm. the situation and turned it in, um, upside down. So from from your perception, like what is the role of digital agencies now in 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 today's times when most of us are doing our our march, as you rightly said, on social media without even knowing that how much of it is real and how much of it is uh, sort of um, fake. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.com. 
www.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, no, I mean the realness versus fakeness of 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 data is is a perennial problem, and it's been exacerbated in social media because people are trying to game the system, as you uh, as you uh, you know correctly um, put it. Um, so for and for us, it's a question I, I think of not trying to boil the ocean. Um, mm. When we approached this, there was a discrete problem that we saw that we wanted to solve, um, and uh, it's not going to stop hate speech everywhere. Mm. It uh, right now is on a single platform. Um, it focuses on a certain um, set of worst cases, uh, and it funds a single group. Um, so that uh, doesn't change the entire system. But what it does do is it highlights to people that um, the world kind of cares about this. Uh, that there's a um, that it's not okay for for people to do this. And one thing that digital agencies are good at is spreading the word about things. Is um, and so it's I, I feel like it's partly incumbent upon us as users of the system to be communities uh, to be part of the community and to say, all right, how do we help fix something that we use every day um, to make it cleaner for everybody? It's just a I, I think it's good. Um, it's a really nice uh, touch point between something that's good yeah. and right and uh, for the world and something that's helpful for the, the, the business too. And, and it's not just like possible isn't the only agency that does stuff mm. um, like this. There's a great, um, uh, there were this great um, uh, World Cup campaigns uh, in the UK about how when the, um, the when England uh, doesn't do particularly well, uh, domestic violence goes up. Mm. Uh, and so it's a question of how you, um, uh, how you spread the word about that so that people can take action. So from our perspective, we live in social media every every mm. day. It's where we do a lot of our job. We saw a problem that we could solve, and data was, for me, one avenue that, that we could bring to bear to help fix something. Interesting. Uh, well said, and, and, and thank you so much for, for every, every bit of this, that, uh, every, every bit that you're doing uh, to, to fix this problem. And, and from your vantage point, you, you, you have access to a lot of other digital media agencies and, and what fun stuff they are doing. What are some of the things that um, you think other media agencies get it wrong when it comes to how they can use data in their decision-making process? Like, do you have any, any thoughts on those? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know that uh, Possible has a lock on everything that's right versus other agencies that, that, that do everything wrong. Um, but uh, uh, that being said, there um, I suppose some things that I, I think uh, I've learned to um, uh, to think differently about data is uh, is firstly the um, data is not the end product. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times, like data science, is such a big great, um, but the work that we do for creative age agency isn't typically the end product. The, a creative agency makes creative, and uh, my job as a um, uh, as a data scientist is to help that team do their jobs better, so that the clients can meet their goals. And if I walk into a room thinking that the that that everyone is there waiting for me to mm. give my deliverable, and once I give my deliverable, I'm done. It's great, um, you know. Uh, then I, then you sort of miss the point. Um, I think data science is part has to be part of a team. Uh, uh, from a digital from an from a uh, advertising perspective, and the minute we walk in thinking arrogantly that we are the um, uh, that we are the product that everybody wants to see, um, we're going to start to get invited to less meetings. I think. Um, uh, and the, I mean, the other thing I, I, I think is um, that I've uh, learned, um, and I think that I did legitimately grow to learn this. Um, and I is that uh, accuracy is really a moving target. Hmm. Um, or perfection, I, I suppose, is this is great quote by um, uh, Salvador Dali, and I'll probably butcher it in paraphrasing it, but it's uh, um, don't be afraid of perfection. You'll never get there anyway. Hmm. Um, and so the um, people who I, I, it's good to strive for perfection, but um, especially with respect to the data that we have access to, the ability to ever really know the final answer hmm. is is a fiction. I mean, uh, people uh, periodically, when we provide models for um, uh, to predict things, they're like, "Well, is this what's going to happen?" And the answer is no. It it won't. This won't happen specifically, but it, but these events are likely to happen in, in this order. So um, 
And then people are either freaked out by that or not. Mm -hmm. And the people who are freaked out by that lack of, of perfection um, will never really get the strongest use out of data. They'll always be, I need the right answer um, without understanding that the future doesn't really have that. The future has many possibilities of probably right answers. And the people who do get that will get a lot of value out of the stuff that we do. Interesting. And I think one thing that, that I, I, I want your perspective on is, as, as I think, uh, so you guys sit on enormous amount of data, social data, social media data, are, are like how folks are interacting. And when you are when you are sort of when you have access to this amazing quality and quantity of data, you there's a there's a tendency to get go crazy over what all you can do. How do you mm-hmm. keep yourself in check? Like how do you keep yourself focused in and and not go sort of in 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 your uh, analysis paralysis sort of roller coaster? What what are some of the some of the things that you could share? No, it's a great question because uh, you're fighting two extremes here. Mm-hmm. On the one extreme, um, there's so much we could look at. If we try and look at everything, we'll never do anything. On the other hand, if we only do what's precisely asked of us, we'll miss all the mm-hmm. fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we uh, focus on is, is kind of um, uh, sort of skating that a little bit. Where Obviously, we want, we want to give clients specifically what they ask for, whether it's a report mm-hmm. or, a, or an analysis. Um, but our um, perspective is then to um, uh, to give them one extra thing. Um, it's sort of it's very Steve Jobsian. Uh, um, we have this. Uh, it's sort of an internal, um, and it's probably the the, the uh, terrible metaphor. But um, if uh, if everyone asks for an apple, you give them apples because they wanted apples. But every now and again, you give them an apple with an orange, just mm. so that they can see something else that's a little different. Yeah. Um, throw a strawberry in there. Have some fun. Uh, and that opens the world of the person who is asking for apples, that there's other stuff out there. And for the rest of their lives, they may only want apples, um, but it's incumbent upon us as partners as, um, uh, to our clients to, um, to give them this one other thing so they can try it. And if they try it once and don't like it, great. But if they try it once um, and it's uh, not particularly useful or relevant, fine. Maybe they'll use it later. Or they may try it and fall in love with it, and suddenly they're asking, for apples and oranges for everything. And that's, a, I think, a win. Um, it expands kind of the universe of what's possible for the client. Um, and for our, for our own internal um, uh, clients, our creative and our, our strategy uh, peers. Interesting. And, and you, as a, as, a, as a leader in data science, like how do you uh, uh, define the elasticity or plasticity of your workers? Like how much they can flex and innovate themselves vis-a-vis delivering on uh, assigned tasks? What are, how do you like what what's your leadership style yeah uh, it's uh, I think micromanagement is death there's some people who um, who really appreciate uh, structure uh, and I think especially within kind of your stereotypical data analytics world structure is something that every anal- analyst can get behind um, mm-hmm. the thing that I uh, really try and push um, on uh, with my team is that we work at a creative agency. It's incumbent upon you to be creative too. Mm. Um, and so uh, it, you always have to do the deliverable first, but there's an incredible amount of, of creativity in both in how you achieve that, um, is the, uh, that deliverable, um, and then in what you can show after or as a byproduct of that. Um, and that's how all of the innovation, frankly, with our uh, within our group happens. Somebody comes up with somebody answers the question in a unique way, or in answering a question, in, um, they answer three other questions that nobody thought to ask. Hmm. Um, and so, I, I um, we I, we do this occasionally, probably not nearly enough, but these group but group brainstorming sessions, sharing of best practices, um, uh, I, I think is a great mechanism for us to. Uh, um, uh, um, to to push each other to um, to find these these new things um, because again other, otherwise you um, a lot of times the ask of a data scientist is relatively repetitive. Um, mm. A monthly report is a report of the same things that happens every month, and the analysis might be might be a little different. But um, so it's incumbent upon us, I think, to make the world more interesting um, as a as a data group. Interesting. And uh, and how do you as a leader uh, promote creativity within your team? Like, what are some of the things that you do um, to, to make your, as you rightly said, that you are, they are working in a, in a creative organization. They have to be creative to begin with. So 
how how do you as a leader help uh, the team i think there so there are three things that i like to do the, so the first is to make sure that that data scientists don't just work with other data scientists um and once they see um once they work closely enough with um uh the creative team or the strategy team or or project management they get a sense of what other questions are being asked and that spurs uh creativity um the um this the second thing that i we we do occasionally is when we learn about a new thing i mean by the by the time this uh our conversation is over there'll be six new tools that have just popped up in the in the data sphere now now you and i both have to go learn about them um and so when that happens uh sending those to a subset of people and saying what would you do with this mm-hmm. um just forcing them to think out of the box of our daily work sometimes um is a good i guess stretching mechanism uh um and then finally we have um uh we have occasional hackathons or even we look at at, at the idea of pitching uh new business as a hackathon um mm-hmm. what would we do if we had access to this new data um and a lot of times innovation comes out of that as well so those are the, those are the three uh places where i i i'm able to push uh my team and i my team is fantastic uh and they are hungry uh for these types of opportunities it's the um it's really the difference between people who are successful here versus not is if you're if you're stoked about that um you'll do really well here if you look at it as a uh, uh, another one of these then it, um it's probably not the right role interesting and and how do you um evaluate some project to be worth pursuing for like how do you evaluate the validity of something they say hey it um sure go ahead like wh- what are you what is your qualifying criteria um i well we look, i mean we look at a number of things like business value i think obviously mm-hmm. if it's a um a complete um if there's no business value but i think we can look at that even business value pretty broadly i mean you look mm-hmm. at um we counter hate is not mm-hmm. uh for a is it's pro bono work it's uh mm-hmm. um but for us it's such a great example to learn and such a great example to um to talk about it with our clients and with the industry um that even though the business value wasn't in um in finding new clients or making us um uh new products the it it was there so i think we have a um uh we're able to look at a number of different inputs to business value both in terms of uh, will it make revenue will it make our clients um super happy and smarter will it make our work better um is it interesting i, I those are all um things that 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 feed into um uh what we do i from uh from a just a competitive perspective if the only thing that we can offer is the same thing anyone else can offer yeah. i mean that's not a that's kind of a red flag for differentiation right mm-hmm. uh um so you know how do we so it's a it, i think it is a, a necessity functional necessity for us to be able to create these things um and uh and the leadership here is is well aware of that and very supportive of us um of making those investments interesting and uh if if we if we talk about um say uh, as a leader what you should care about when when sort of you are managing a, a sort of data practice at a digital agencies like how do you what are some of the things what uh, if you are starting a job in in a digital agencies what are some of the things that a leader should keep in mind or what should be their playbook what would you suggest to those guys well and i mean i guess in terms of um uh like practical application being um a jack of all trades is is helpful i mean a lot of people re- refer to it as kind of being t-shaped um so you're a specialization in one area uh pretty deeply but you have to be able to answer the first four questions about anything else um and then even if that fifth question is a real bear and you can't do it you can at least pass it off to somebody and give them a little context. So having that um uh I guess broad view of data um is a is is absolutely a a, a recommendation um getting smart on things that um are, are a little different if you come in with no um social media listening uh uh expertise that's not fatal here but it is something that you're going to want to understand even if it's just to know all right what is it how do I describe it um when would I use it um and then i can get somebody else to help me who's much better at it than i am um and and then the other thing is more of a philosophical uh um i guess a suggestion for for people coming into an agency world which is both w- both with respect to the people that you work with 
um, in other disciplines and with your clients, never be the smartest person in the room. Mm. I think uh, there's a um, tendency for data people to kind of have all the answers, to want to have all the answers, and you kind of have to let that go. Um, uh, you, we're here to listen as much as we are to, to kind of uh, brainstorm and come up with um, different perspectives on things. And if all our remit is, is to come in and tell people facts, um, the, um, the that doesn't really, I think that misses the true purpose of, of uh, having a data scientist on your team, um, which is to kind of experiment a little bit. No, um, nobody invites encyclopedias to parties. Um, and if all we are is a is a series of encyclopedias, um, then you know we may get asked a question in an email he, here and there, but we're going to miss all the good parties. Um, so never be the smartest person in the room. Is that interesting? And and what what are some of the qualities, um, or what is some of the uh, qualities of a great data science team in di digital uh, agencies? Like what what are some of the qualities that you think? Are must have for a data science team or team of practice within a digital landscape. Well, within the, this landscape, I, I don't know that that it's so much different than uh, than in any other agency the or any other industry. Mm -hmm. I think there's much less rigidity here. Um, mm -hmm. We uh, um, we get a lot of people from the financial sector in. Uh, to sort of train up as digital analysts, and they're great. They they come with a rigor, uh, with an understanding, functional understanding of kind of business problems. They're great feeder into uh, where historically there haven't been a gajillion um, you know school programs that you could hire analysts out of. Um, people mm -hmm. in the financial sector ha have been a great kind of source for us. Um, that being said, uh, um, people in the financial sector have a very rigid understanding of what is right and reportable versus what is not um, fully formed or completely provable. Um, and in our world, especially as we're predicting things, um, you kind of have to let go of that, that idea of what is absolutely right. Um, you have to be able to work with um, data that sometimes isn't there. You have to stub in um, uh, dummy data occasionally. You have to use data that that um, whose hygiene is highly suspect, mm -hmm. uh, um, and uh, and you still have to manage to come up with, um, if not uh, a, an answer, at least uh, a series of answers that'll mm -hmm. allow people to move forward with their job. Um, so um, for me, the ability to kind of be loose with that, um, mm -hmm. to not say no to a request, but instead to kind of come back with a way around uh, a, a, an issue or a gap um, is essential. Um, uh, because we are not the financial sector, and while what we do has a, an incredible amount of import with respect to how people achieve their business goals, um, a lot of times the the data that we have is supposed to be directional. It's meant to be directional, um, and if we get too caught up in whether this is um, the absolute truth or, or not, we'll never get an answer out. Interesting. And and in in your journey so far, like what are some of the some of the um qualities of some of your best hires like if, if you can if you can uh, list those what what are those what are those uh, for me there's a certain uh i don't know whether you'd call it it's whether this is a combo one or two separate but there's a kind of a hunger um to try new things and there's a curiosity um i think those are the two things that i can't teach um mm. everything else is teachable um I, we've hired plenty of people who have never seen a tool uh, uh, an analyst tool in their lives, and and that's fine. Like any 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 reasonably savvy eleven year old uh, can learn how to use an analytics tool. It's not that it's not that hard. Um, what they what I can't teach is is this kind of innate curiosity of all right. I, if we know this, what are the other three things we don't know, and how do I find that? And if I can't know these two of the three, how do I guess? Um, so that that kind of hunger, the um, to blow through obstacles, to come up with best guesses, um, and the curiosity to do so are are for me the um, what's separated the um, the really good analysts from just the phenomenally successful ones, the ones everybody wants in their products. Interesting, uh, very useful. And and if, if we talk about leadership, like what are uh, some of the qualities that you have seen? Um, successful digital agencies pull off uh, from a leadership standpoint when it comes to building a, or creating a very thriving and, and healthy data science practice? 
Um, from a lead, I think there's a little bit of evangelism that has to happen at, at a leadership perspective. Um, there is a, an innate skepticism of data. Um, uh, uh, the beautiful thing about uh, create uh, about sort of creativity is that it's purely subjective many mm -hmm. times. Um, but for data, people expect either a right answer or a wrong answer, and we kind of have to disabuse them of, of that notion. Um, so there's a the, from a I think the the a leader of the of a data sciences group kind of has to um, help people understand the, the nuance between that and where it's useful, like where it can actually provide real value. Um, I, I think there's also, uh, this happens uh, maybe less, but I, I, I think um, uh, as data gets propagated throughout other um, partner agencies or other um, uh, clients, I, I think a leader has to be kind of protective of the team, of the methodology. Um, anytime I have, I mean, in, the, in my history, anytime I have failed to do that appropriately, um, I look back at that as one of just the the you know the worst misses. Um, like you can miss a deliverable, but uh, but if you um, if you don't realize that um, the data is being manipulated in a way it shouldn't be, or you're um, somebody who's on the team is being asked to do something that they aren't comfortable doing or or capable of doing, like um, that that's hard to that's hard to undo. So I think mm -hmm. the, the um, it's up to the leader to make sure that everybody is supported in the right way that people aren't because um, that, that's what that's how you end up with these um, uh, questionably ethical um, uh, um, data plays that are out there that have been in the news. It's it's um, a, a good idea that 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 got way out of hand and that just wasn't regulated well enough. No one was sitting at the top saying, well, you know, I know we can, but should we? Is it is it OK? Um, uh, because again, you think data. What's there's no subjective there, but I think there is. Um, so I, I think a, a leader who can navigate that is, is pretty important. Interesting. And and if um, you as an as an industry observer in digital media space uh, from a data science standpoint, look at and and look at. Um, so what are some of the op big opportunities that you think are still existing, uh, which are which have which are, which are not yet. Explored upon uh, in the industry that that you can that you can share, and I'll give you two uh, off the top of my head. And the first is almost cliche, but uh, I'll explain it, and hopefully it will seem less so. So uh, this the idea of artificial intelligence, I think, is a huge opportunity um, to solve problems. Uh, um, I, I think right now it is starting to be accessible enough so that. Uh, um, uh, data scientists can use it. You don't need a mainframe at, at IBM in order to, to make this happen. Um, you can access technology uh, really with the, just a you know an API key uh, and, and start doing it. And to anybody who isn't familiar with it, you will look like a wizard. You will look like just mm -hmm. a, like an ins you will look like like Elon Musk and Gandalf had a baby. <laughs> uh, and 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 it, and it's awesome. Anytime you can be ahead of the curve on something like that yeah. uh, is 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 fantastic. Um, the thing with that though is that uh, is that it needs it can't be you can't solve anything with AI. You can't sell AI. Um, you have to solve a problem. And so the ability to understand kind of the human question um, and is. Uh, um, so that you can solve the problem with a, with AI in a cool way, I, I think is equally important. And so, and that's the that's the second part is this: um, uh, as data becomes more available and more readily readily available, and the tools are are available, um, uh, there's a danger that comes kind of distanced from what humans actually need. And so, the ability to to meaningfully translate the data that we have access to and the outputs from that into something that a human being can actually use and get value from, I think will always be um, uh, a required skill and necessary skill. In fact, the more data that we have access to, the, the more necessary it'll become. Interesting. And and um, this podcast is Future of Data. So if, if, if um, I ask you to, to sort of um, uh, predict or, or sort of um, figure out from your crystal ball, uh, what would be the future of data and digital media? Like, what would you say? Uh, well, I, that's, uh, I'm terrible at predicting things. 
Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, I, uh, you should see, uh, and that's why I never bet on sports games or anything. I, I just, I'm a complete failure, uh, with that. Uh, but, um, I, I do believe like the, I, I think the future for, um, for advertising is, uh, is a way to use, um, uh, involves using data in, in a compelling way as new sources of data come, mm. uh, come to bear. So, um, uh, our refrigerators are going to start sending data to someone uh, and that data will be usable in a way that is uh, far different than the refrigerator manufacturer thinks. Um, and so the, uh, for, for me, the future of, of my role and the future of, of, the, of agency participation is to figure out how to, in data, is to figure out how to break um, the original intention of data to use it in a way that is wonderful and creative and extremely useful. Um, so how do I take um, uh, your the data that your refrigerator is sending out, map it to something uh, that your car is telling me, um, uh, add that to the last three ads that you, you saw, and then figure out where you are in the world and turn that into something that a creative person can uh, turn into a really meaningful campaign that will make you want to by this brand of gum, um, uh, and it's a—I mean, it's a like it's a goofy the metaphor, obviously, but the but the um, the amount of data sources that we have and the challenges of um, scattered people and attention, um, like this is our this is one of the tools that we're going to have and uh, um, at our disposal. And I think the agencies that see this far enough in advance and and hire the right people to get. Uh, in a place to use that new stuff are going to have a tremendous advantage. Interesting. Uh, beautifully said. So now uh, we are, we are at, at the tail end of the conversation and I want to spend some time on your journey uh, uh, as an executive. So if I would say in your journey, what are one, two, three things that has helped you stay successful and sane? What would those be? A successful and sane. Uh, there are people who could argue both of those against me but uh on the assumption that that uh, that they they are marginally accurate um i would say um surrounding yourself with with people who are both good at their jobs and good people um are uh tremendously um is tremendously important uh both for uh for sanity specifically and that leads to success um i uh, um i mean i would uh, i think the people that i work with are are such a um i can't under i can't overstate how integral they are both um to the success that i i've had um here in my job specifically and and to the the, the amount of fun that i have when i'm doing it um so f for me the um like you can work at a great company doing great things with interesting data sets but the people that you surround yourself with both who you hire and the peers that you uh um that you bring with you um, or that you 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 find yourself sitting next to the meetings are 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 I think is um, an essential qualification to both sanity and success. Um, I would, if we had another two hours, spend the remainder just listing names of people I should thank, um, <laughs> but I suspect we don't have time for that. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I would say that's that's the that is the the, the probably the one um, uh, the one pivot that. Um, uh, would change successful and sane to the the opposite. Interesting. And and one thing that we ask all of our guests to share is uh, their favorite reads, either either what they're reading now or what or some of their favorite reads that 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 you could share with our listeners and viewers. Like, do you have some to share? Sure. Um, again, I'll I'll give you two. Uh, they're sort of analytics related, and then sort of not. Um, uh, the one a really good analytics book that, that I think, especially for people who aren't very familiar with the social media aspect, it's a book called uh, Trendology. It's by a guy named Chris Kearns. Uh, he's a friend, so full disclosure there. Um, but uh, it, it's in essence understanding how to um, uh, how to use and, and and map trends in social media. Um, he spent a great deal of time in the space uh, of social media. He's a data scientist himself. Um, so he's not talking about it conceptually. Um, and he's also an author. He writes uh, um, fiction books um, about a, a teenage girl hacker um, who tries to prevent the, um, the world from ending, et cetera, et cetera. It's um, this uh, Haley Black series. Um, so, so in addition to him being a legit 
uh, proper data scientist. He's also a legit proper like sci-fi author. And I think anytime you can, you can get those two things together, right. it's, it, it'll it's be a good mix. read. Uh, yeah. So it's, so, uh, so I, I throw that out there. The other thing, and this is a little more, uh, I don't know, metaphorical, I suppose. Um, but there's this, uh, great book, um, it's called Venomous. Um, mm -hmm. and it's by, uh, um, a scientist named, uh, Christy Wilcox and it's about venomous animals, uh, like snakes and jellyfish and, um, uh, scorpions and all of that. And it seems a bit weird, uh, in the context of a, a you know, future of data. Um, but she has one section in there where she talks about how you measure the intensity of, mm. um, of venom. And I think it's such a wonderful, um, again, metaphor for, um, the challenges that we face uh, as as data scientists, um, that I, I really want everybody to, to kind of uh, see it. The, the way she kind of frames it up is, uh, um, uh, she's often asked, what is the most dangerous animal with respect to venom? Um, and she says, just in that question, there are a whole bunch of assumptions um, that mm. are uh, that depend on how somebody defines the word dangerous. And she yeah. talks about this, um, this uh, a uh, box jellyfish, which has the most intense venom of any animal. If it basically, if it breathes on you, you will die in a second. It, um, but it lives in a really remote part of the reef that no one will ever see. the uh, The odds of you or I ever running into a box jellyfish are infinitesimal. Um, compare that to a mosquito, who is technically mm. venomous, um, but the venom barely affects you. It just makes you itch a little bit. And yet mosquitoes are responsible for actively killing tens of thousands of people a year through disease transmission. Uh, so which is more dangerous? Is it the one that has the most intense venom or the one that through other means ends up killing people more? And like that, um, I guess, philosophical question is a really, really uh, interesting overlay on top of everything that we do. You know, what is going to make my business grow? Well, you know, let, mm. let, let's 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 string that out a little bit and ask a bunch of follow-up questions so that we're not uh, giving you the answer that is technically accurate and mm -hmm. almost completely useless um so i i love the book i think it was it's about snakes and 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 scorpions so it's cool um but it also has <laughs> that great uh um i think you know uh tinge that that great analytics reference that i, I use constantly it's a good reminder that's beautiful, and 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 thank you so much, uh, Jason, on uh, sharing such two cool, good reads. And we're at the at the, at the last question, and but not the least. Um, and before that, I definitely want to thank you for walking us through this interesting journey and 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 sharing your insights. So, if we want, if you we want something to take away uh, for our listeners and viewers, so what would what would that be? Like, what do you want? What would be your closing remark for our listeners and viewers? Well, I, I guess uh, I would go back to, I, I mean, the, for something that I think could legitimately benefit the, the your your listeners and the world. I, I would, I guess, I would go back to um, uh, the we counter hate conversation and say mm -hmm. there's a lot of data out there um, that could be used for really good things, and a lot of data that's out there that could be used for not so good things, and that you, whoever is listening to this, are, are the people who touch the data. Um, and that no one may ask you to do a good thing, to build a good thing, but you can. Uh, nothing's stopping you. Uh, and you have this really discreet, beautiful knowledge set that could mm. make the world a better place. So find one small uh, thing, even if it's um, only important to you or, or a few people, and solve it and and see what happens um, don't wait for anybody to ask and then on the flip side um, uh, you have a great um, sort of personal belief system and compass moral compass um, so if you're ever asked to do something uh, that that smells funny it probably is funny and you should you, uh, and the consequences of walking away from it in the short term pale in comparison to the consequences of going along with it and dealing with uh, um, the um, the the feedback uh, loop in the long term. So I, I guess for me, the, the, the uh, that's the um, that's the one thing I would I would ask everybody to take away. Interesting. And and with that, um, thank you so much, Jason. I, and I think um, very few times we get to talk to someone who's actually investing good amount of time doing not even uh, helping the organizations do good stuff, but also uh, create something to for the humanity and, and do appreciate you for 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 venturing into that and sort of even walking our listeners and viewers on some of the ways they can they can help out and, and do appreciate that with that you're always welcome back on the podcast thank you so much for spending your generous time with us 
it was a ball and uh, uh, thank you for uh, staying sane through my random questions all over the place and and, and still um, uh, patiently addressing and helping us understand the world of data science in, in, in digital uh, scape. I should thank you. It was a great conversation. I appreciate the, the invitation. I would be glad to come back anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. Then I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain...